This talk was given by John Dido Lori Roshi. Dido Roshi was the founder of Zen Mountain Monastery and the Mountains and Rivers Order and served as the guiding teacher for almost 30 years until his passing in 2009. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Go on of the way of reality. Case 109. Zhao Zhao's not apart from the monastery. The main case. The great master Zhao Zhao addressed the assembly saying, when you spend your whole lifetime without being apart from the monastery, if you sit without moving and do not speak for five or ten years, no one will be able to call you mute. Afterwards, you might be beyond even the Buddhas. The commentary. Master Zhao Zhao is saying <clears throat> that where there is practice, there is realization, there is expression, and there is going beyond Buddha. He points to a truth that precedes sound and the intuitive perception that follows an expression. A truth that is beyond speech or silence. This is called intimate talk, expression that can be recognized and understood even though it has no sound. This kind of expression is met with a truth that is already present within each one of us. Although in intimate expression there is no sound, this expression cannot be called mute. Master Dogen said, a whole lifetime of not leaving the monastery is a whole life not leaving expression. Five or ten years of not speaking in resolute zazen is five or ten years of expression. It is a whole life not leaving what goes beyond expression, and five or ten years of expression and that which is beyond expression. Indeed, if we examine this teaching carefully, we see that all of the phenomena of this great universe, audible, inaudible, tangible, intangible, conscious and unconscious, constantly express the truth of the universe. Do you hear it? Can you see it? If not, then heed the instructions of Master Zhao Zhao and spend a lifetime without being apart from the monastery. Sit without moving and do not speak for five or ten years. The capping verse. A thousand kinds of clever talk, how can they express the truth? Intimate talk, not clamor, eloquently conveys the ineffable reality of the way. <coughs> now those of you who have been doing your homework <clears throat> must clearly recognize this koan. In fact, you've, by now, the first month of this ango, read it at least four or five times. You've pondered it. You've considered it. You've sat with it. <clears throat> it's one of the central items in the theme of the sango, dotoku. There are two koans in dotoku. The one I did yesterday and this one. Uh, why do I get the feeling that that hasn't been happening? Hmm?
In the commentary, Master Zhao Zhao is saying that where there is practice, there is realization, there is expression, and there is going beyond Buddha. And this expression that he speaks of is a particular kind of expression. It's not expression the way we commonly understand expression. It's the expression of the way. It's the expression that Dogen is talking about throughout Dotoku. It's expression uh, that he uses these two koans to illustrate. This process of practice, realization, expression, and going beyond Buddha has been the universal way that Buddhists have practiced and conveyed the Dharma from generation to generation. This is the way they've expressed the Dharma. This is how the Dharma has come down to us this day. It hasn't come down to us, uh, you know, in all of the scholarly works, in all of the words and ideas that describe the, the Dharma, all of the books and all of the commentaries on the commentaries and commentaries. It's come to us through this intimate kind of communication. And this kind of intimate communication is pretty unique. The whole of the Buddha Dharma and the transmission of the Dharma is built on that. The commentary says he points to a truth that precedes sound even before it is said. This is a truth that's present in each one of us, whether it's been realized or not. So before the teaching happens, before you come to the monastery, before you say to yourself, I want to practice Zen, that truth is present. You wouldn't be here if that truth weren't present. It's that truth that raises the Bodhi mind, the aspiration to realize oneself. It's that truth that propels us into practice. It's that truth that is realized through practice, actualized through practice, and expressed. So he points to a truth that precedes sound and the intuitive perception that follows an expression. We haven't yet identified the expression, but it's the intuitive perception that follows that. Intuitive. uh, It's an awareness that's innate. Untaught. Not learned. It's a kind of cognition that is contained probably within our genes. I don't know what the scientific explanation of it is. Every species of animal has a kind of innate, untaught um, information or knowledge. Some years ago, I was uh, watching a study that was done with infants, infants that were... um, um, They were still crawling. They hadn't started walking yet. And uh, they had them on a glass surface, 
then they would have a gap. So it was a couple of tables. And so long as they were on the table, they were fine. They were running along. And then they would come to the, the glass is still there, but they would come to the edge where there was the depth. And they would stop. They had a sense of that depth. Just, you know, how old is a baby that's crawling? Not very old. And it's kind of an intuitive sense. There's an intuitive sense that's present in uh, just about all of the species. I think of, um, of um, I've told the story a hundred times, uh, of that little Florida turtle that my kid used to have with uh, Florida painted on the shell that somebody gave him as a gift. And uh, we put him in a, a bowl and he watched them. And, uh, you know, after a while it got smelly and uh, I kept trying to talk him into let's set the turtle free. But uh, he was very resistant. And uh, so there was a long brainwashing process as we approached spring. And then comes spring when the, when the streams warmed up. We, uh, I convinced him we'll do this ceremony of releasing the turtle and all that stuff. So he, he bought it. And um, we threw this turtle into this uh, stream, a kind of fast-running stream. And this turtle, I hadn't seen it do anything. I mean, I thought it was dead because it smells so so bad. I mean, it was lethargic, you know. It, its head would, even when you fed it, it didn't get excited about it. Its head would barely point out like that. And the minute he threw this thing into the water, I had no idea they swam the way they did. He was like a like a streak. He swam cross current right onto a, a rock, but on the downstream part of the rock. So he was around the, the back of the rock where you put a canoe to get out of the current. And it just kind of hangs there. And he was clinging to the side of that rock. And then his neck, which I didn't even know he had, was like about an inch long. And it came out into the stream and it started bobbing like this. And he was obviously catching insects and things that were being carried down by the stream. He knew precisely what to do. It's, you know, unavoidable turtle nature that he had, you know. And I think about uh, the stupid little poodle that we used to have here. When we first started in 1980, this uh, woman showed up in a brand new Lincoln from Park Avenue wearing a fur coat in the fall of 1980 and said she wants to come into residency. <laughs> and I looked at her, the car, and in the back seat is this quaffed poodle, a miniature poodle, I mean, with a squeaky bark, and all done up. And I said, uh, I, you know, uh, we, don't, we can't let animals here. Oh, he'll be fine. Uh, Scooter will be fine. Scooter was his name. And uh, I said, you know, I was afraid he would be eaten by the squirrels. <clears throat> oh, he's tough, she said, you know. He, he's um, in the woods all the time, Central Park. <laughs> Park Avenue end of it, or the other end of it. Um, 
And, uh, well, to make a long, she's a very persistent woman and turned out to be a super dynamite student. I mean, she didn't come with a fur coat and anything. She came in jeans and she didn't come with the Cadillac either. It belonged to her husband that she was divorcing. Um, and she stayed for two years and was a dynamite student. And S- Scooter <clears throat> became a dog. In like two or three weeks, he became a dog. There were a lot of other dogs here. He started running with the pack. He was hunting. We even had the DEC and the ranger after us because they were running down deer and killing them. And it was hard to deny it because there'd be a deer head outside my house, you know, as a gift. Um, So Scooter was, immediately became a dog. The Shad. The Hudson River was polluted for about 20 years, 25 years. Shad didn't run the river anymore. Shad had been going there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Every spring they would go upstream to the headwaters, lay their eggs, and then die. The next generation would come out and they would return to their place of birth to spawn and put their eggs. And this has been going on for centuries. I mean, long before uh, white people ever came here, probably before even the Native Americans were here. I mean, as long as there's been a river, probably the Shad were doing it. They've been around for a long time. Well, suddenly, pollution stops it. No Shad. And Shad fishing was was a commercial fishing thing on the Hudson River. It was totally wiped out. No Shad. And then Pete Seeger and uh, Clearwater and those people and the work they were doing, and gradually the river became purer and purer, and they got after all these people that were polluting and so on. And next thing you know, the, the river improves to a point where, lo and behold, the shad are running again. How is that possible after 20 years, 25 years? I mean, do they tell the story to their grandchildren? You know, if the river ever clears up, you should go up there because that's where your ancestors came from and pass that on to the next generation. Because how many generations of shad had already passed not going up that river and then suddenly the river's pure and they start going up again. Now, I don't know if it was of the same lineage as the original <laughs> ones. It could be that it was just, you know, shad come along. But they always go, they know that they go to the place that they were born. So the shad of the Delaware River don't go up the Hudson River. And the Hudson River shad don't go up the Delaware River. Kind of interesting. Innate knowledge. Untransmitted, not received. That's the Buddha nature. That's what we're about. We're like the, the shad trying to find that place where the eggs came from. So, intuitive perception that follows an expression. A truth that's beyond speech or silence. This is a truth that's not communicated through words, and it's not communicated through silence. It doesn't fall into either. Not speech, and it's not silent, yet it is unequivocal expression. Unequivocal communication. You can't even call it communication. Because it's intimate. This is called intimate talk. In intimate talk, teacher and the student are a single reality. One mind. Intimate means non-dual. That's the only way 
this kind of communication can take place. So it's not discursive, it's not information, it's not about understanding, it's not about believing. It's about triggering something that's deep within us that causes recognition. Expression that can be recognized and understood even though it has no sound. To recognize means to perceive it clearly, to realize something previously, realize it as if you knew it, as if you previously knew about it. You recognize it, it's familiar. It means to grasp its meaning, comprehension. And comprehension is kind of, you know, when you get it, getting it can be delightful. It can be so fulfilling, orgasmic almost, particularly when it's been difficult to grasp it and suddenly it's clear as a bell. It it reminds me of a, a thing that took place many years ago when I was a kid. It's not intimate talk, but it illustrates sudden and unequivocal recognition and understanding. There was this guy called Mr. Landisi, an old Italian guy, that worked at the boys' club where I was a student. And we used to study with this uh, Mr. Jones. And Mr. Jones was an Oxford-educated, really fine gentleman, very, very wealthy, who chose not to go that route. So he built this boys' club. He slept, his bed was in a closet, that he would open the closet door in his office, lower the bed. I mean, he led the kind of, you know, monk's life. He had two suits, both were black, with a dark tie. And his language was eloquent. And one of the requirements he had, uh, I've always been indebted to the man, his requirements, to, the boys' club was filled with all the things that boys love, pool hall, basketball courts, gymnasium, um, all kinds of games and things, whatever they had back in the early 40s. Uh, but before you could use any of them, you had to have a, a training session with uh, Mr. Jones. And it would differ on different days. But every time you entered the club, before you could go to any of these things, and he also had a dark room for us, an observatory on the roof, uh, a laboratory, you had to still do the training. And that might be listening to Beethoven, or it might be him reading Shakespeare to us. I mean, you know, we were street kids. We used to smoke cigars, 10 years old, 11 years old. We were, we were kind of, you know, semi-thugs that could have gone either way. And Mr. Jones, with his just sense of beauty and poetry and how the rest of the world was like, opened up things that school never did. And so he was always proper, Mr. Jones, always proper. Anyway, he had this big German shepherd. And one day he asked Mr. Landisi to take the dog out for a walk. It's the evening, getting closing time of the club. And Mr. Landisi takes the dog out, and he's gone for about 15 minutes, and he comes back. And uh, Mr. Jones is at the top of this long flight of stairs, standing there. Mr. Landisi, who speaks not very good English, is down at the base of the stairs, and the dog is now unleashed and running around. And Mr. Jones says, "Um, Mr. Landisi, did uh, Blackie go? 
And Mr. Landisi looks at him and says, what do you mean, go? He said, well, did he, uh, did he do his duty? <laughs> uh, Mr. Jones, I don't know duty. What are you, what are you talking about? Um, did he do his business? And Mr. Jones is starting to tremble, you know, with, with anger, which he uh, oh, never showed. Did he do his business? But what business? I don't understand. No capish. And then finally Mr. Jones says, Did he shit, Mr. Landisi? Oh, yeah, big one, all over, big. Recognition, cognition, realization, and all of the delight that's part of that. And that can happen through intimate talk. You come to a ground that's familiar. You know it. You recognize it. It's home. This kind of expression is met with a truth that is already present within each one of us. Resonance. The energy going back and forth between two people, teacher, student. Inherent, natural, untaught, can't be given, can't be received, but it's there, it's alive, buried beneath a lifetime of conditioning. And in order to get to it, we need to deal with the conditioning. The conditioning keeps us from seeing our Buddha nature. Everything we learn, everything our society is about, is pointing in the other direction, opposite the Buddha nature. It's based on a dualistic understanding of the universe, of ourselves, of our relationships. And if you live your life like that, there's no way you can take responsibility, really, for your life. You know, you don't see that it all comes home to each one of us. And so the pain continues, and the suffering continues. Until we grasp that fact that each one of us is perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And the truth of that is buried beneath all of this conditioning. And all the process does, and every aspect of the process, I don't care what part of it you're talking about, whether it's zazen or liturgy, or the discipline, or body practice, or work practice, art practice. It's all designed to bring us into direct confrontation with our conditioning. And to see if we can free ourselves of that, go beyond that. And it's not something that's going to happen in one sweeping moment, in spite of what you may have read about. It's a meticulous step-by-step process. That's why there are 1,700 koans that have been accumulated over time. Each one of them deals with a different aspect of places that people stick. But it's possible to deal with it. It's possible to get past the conditioning. 
it's possible to experience directly that innate, inherent, natural Buddha nature. Buddha nature really means human nature, real human nature, not what we've come to know as human nature. Although in human nature, and in, in what we've come to know is human nature, every once in a while it pops up where you see some extraordinary being do something that's special, that's not self-centered. Although in intimate expression there is no sound, this expression cannot be called mute. Mute means silent, means undiscovered or unrecognized. The absence of speech And yet, even though it's mute, it can be experienced, even though it's not verbally expressed. So we do all kinds of mute expression in just everyday encounters. He touched her arm in a gesture of sympathy. And that's the expression, and it's mute, no words, just a touch. And sometimes that kind of communication can be extremely powerful. Well, what I'm saying is it's that kind of communication that's the bulk of transmitting the truth, of expressing the truth. Dogen said, therefore, at once the Buddha's ancestors' ultimate expression of the way is a whole life not apart from the monastery. Even if one were mute, There is ultimate expression of the way. Don't study with the idea that a mute cannot express the way. One who expresses the way is not at all one who is not a mute. There are mutes and there are expressions of the way. You should be able to hear the mute voice. You should hear the mute words. If you are not a mute, how can you meet a mute? How can you hold a discussion with a mute? When you are already mute, how can the meaning take place? How can discussion take place? Study in this way and investigate being a mute. Those are Dogen's instructions on this koan. Dogen says, a whole life not leaving the monastery is a whole life not leaving expression without leaving the expression of the truth. Sitting in stillness without speaking for ten years or for five years is expression of the truth for ten years or five years. It is a lifetime without leaving non-expression of the truth and it's being unable to say anything for ten years or for five years. It is sitting away a hundred thousands of Buddhas and it is hundreds of thousands of Buddhas sitting away you. These things always interpenetrate each other. Dogen goes on to say, sitting in stillness is a lifetime or two lifetimes. It's not for one or two periods of time. If you experience ten years or five years of sitting in stillness without speaking, even the Buddhas will be unable to think light of you. Truly, even the eyes of the Buddha will not be able to glimpse. And even the power of the Buddha will not be able to sway. This sitting is stillness without speaking because you will be beyond even the Buddhas. What does that mean, to be beyond the Buddhas? What does it mean that you can't be seen by the Buddhas? There's a 
koan, among the miscellaneous koans, that says, if a person sees me in forms and hears me in sounds, he or she practices the wrong way. One cannot see or hear the Tathagata Buddha. That's from the Diamond Sutra. It's a whole life, not leaving what goes beyond expression. And then the commentary says, indeed, if we examine this teaching carefully, we see that all of the phenomena of this great universe, audible, inaudible, tangible, intangible, conscious and unconscious, constantly express the truth of the universe. And of course, this kind of a statement is what gives rise to the everything I do is Zen or everything is Zen. Uh, You don't go anywhere with something like that. There's something more that's being said here. Of course, it's pointing to the teachings of the insentient. Like Master Dongshan says, the insentient are constantly teaching. Speaks of the voice of the river, the form of the mountain. Dogen speaks of these mountains and rivers of the present as the manifestation of the word of ancient Buddhas. So all that's the teachings of the insentient. Dogen says, you are not it, but in truth it is you. Not Dogen, Dongshan says, you are not it, but in truth it is you. Like a newborn child, it is fully endowed with the five aspects. No coming, no going, no arising, no abiding. Baba Wawa. Is anything said or not? The Baba Wawa is the sound of the newborn child expressing the way, the truth. Well, if that's the case, the same question I asked yesterday, I ask again today. If everything is expressing the truth, if every sound is expressing the truth, If this is expressing the truth, open your eyes so you can see it. This. Kyosho. You see it? Okay. Then why, if all these things constantly express the truth, don't we get it? Why can't we get it? Sometimes. The information is out there, it's under our noses, even consciously given, but somehow not received. How do we make it so we receive it? How do we keep our practice right at the edge, right at the cutting edge? So indeed, if we examine this teaching carefully, we see that all of the phenomena of this great universe, audible, inaudible, tangible, intangible, conscious and unconscious, constantly express the truth of the universe. Do you hear it? It can't be heard with the ear. Then how would you hear it? Can you see it? It can't be seen with the eye then how will you see it? If not, if you can't see it, can't hear it, then heed the instructions of Master Zhao Zhao and spend a lifetime without being apart from the monastery. How will you do that? 
I have all these responsibilities. How could I possibly do that? What does it mean to spend a lifetime without being apart from the monastery? Have you ever heard the phrase, in the world yet not having left the mountain? That's what that means. Sit without moving and do not speak for five or ten years. Sit without moving means not just the body sitting, but the mind sitting as well. It's easy to get the body to to sit, particularly when you're in the zendo. You move and somebody else. Stop moving. But nobody can get into your head and tell you to stop moving your mind every time you do it. You need to be aware of that. Do not speak for five or ten years. Not just speaking to others, but talking to yourself. Isn't that... I would love to see if, you know, I could do the magic of a cartoon and have the little balloons appear over people's heads. You know, it would fill the place to the ceiling and crush all of us if all the balloons were out there of what people are saying to themselves. There'd be a few balloons with Z's on them. So sit without moving and do not speak for five or ten years. How? You need to look at what the spirit of what Joshu is saying when he says spend a whole lifetime without being apart from the monastery. Sit without moving and do not speak for five or ten years. And when you do that, no one will be able to call you mute. No one will be able to say, you're not expressing the way. And afterwards, you might even be beyond the Buddhas. The capping verse. Oh, I had line comments. I should give you the line comments. The first line says, when you spend your whole lifetime without being apart from the monastery, and the footnote says, it's always right there. It's always right here. The next line says, if you sit without moving, footnote says, like a tree stump in a forest. And do not speak for five or ten years, the footnote says, like a stone Buddha. No one will be able to call you mute. The footnote to that says, a voice like thunder that shakes heaven and earth. Afterwards, you might go, you might be beyond even the Buddhas. And the footnote to that says, a hundred thousand Buddhas all cut off. When you're beyond Buddha, you're out there by yourself. So, capping verse. A thousand kinds of clever talk. How can they express the truth? Intimate talk, not clamor, eloquently conveys the ineffable reality of the way. A thousand kinds of clever talk. And clever talk is what bounces around Zen centers and Zen monasteries from coast to coast uh, all over the world. It's easy to be glib. Books are filled with all kinds of Zen-like expressions. That's clever talk. Uh, I was telling somebody the other day when they were giving me... uh, intellectual response to one of the koans, that before you 
say what you're going to say about the con. Ask yourself, how would Professor blank, you fill in the blank because this is going on the web, I don't want anybody to hear it. So you put in the blank, how would Professor of Buddhism answer that question? And if it's the same as yours, don't tell me it. (laughs) Intimate talk, not clamor eloquently conveys the ineffable reality of the way. So, now that we've talked about intimate talk, ask yourself, what is it? Can you hear it? Can you see it? Can you speak it? Do you get it? This is a very short fascicle of Dogen. We've probably done half of it by now in these two koans. Uh, So we're going to be able to go into this in a depth that we haven't been able to before. And uh, you're going to get a pretty good sense of how Dogen communicates and how he uses language from this little fascicle. And like I said yesterday, if you haven't started chewing it up, uh, please start, because you're going to encounter this. You've got two more months of dotoku until you're going to be tired of hearing it. And keep in mind that beyond the words, there is a significance, and that's what you need to see. It's the subtleties. I remember Majimi Roshi once asked uh, my Dharma sister Joko, Joko, is the work finished yet? And she said, yeah, Roshi, it's practically finished. They're just the details. And Roshi said, it's all details. And it's the same with this. It's all in the subtleties. It's not in the obvious. It's all in the subtleties. That's what the teachings are. That's what the Dharma is. That's what the koans are. It's all in the subtleties. The reason for that is the subtleties allow discovery. The subtleties allow you to make it your own. So please take care of the subtleties. Thanks so much for listening. To find out more about the monastery's programs, weekend retreats, and residency, please visit our website at zmm.org.